just because you may not be coming from an adjacent design industry does not mean that there's nothing valuable in your past. Probably you've worked with other people. You've probably had to collaborate on projects. You've probably had to pitch ideas, convince people of stuff, told like narratives and stories in your work. All of that is super relevant. Hello, friends. My name is Kirill, and you're listening to my UX career podcast. On this podcast, I'm sharing my personal thoughts on how to start a career path in UX, how to grow your skills and become a better designer. Also, I have conversations with other designers and design leaders trying to show that there are many different perspectives and opinions on the key questions about UX career. So if you're a UX designer or considering becoming one, this podcast will get you better prepared for finding a job in UX. Opinions expressed on this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of my current or previous employers. And don't forget, this is just one human's point of view. Also, if you're interested in UX career insights and um, some key learnings from my experience, uh, you can sign up for my newsletter about UX career. Uh, go to newsletter.uxcareer.co. Now, back to the episode. In this episode, I'm talking to Irina Bilova as a part of the Q&A with Design Manager series. Irina is the product design manager at Clio, a Vancouver-based tech company in legal space. And we talk about many different topics that you will find very, very insightful and interesting. We talk about her journey from journalism to design leadership, the valuable experiences from the previous careers, and what she is looking for in resumes and portfolios. We also talk about how you should tell the story for a project and the case study structure and why it's critical to start it by framing the problem. You'll love this episode. Enjoy. Hi, Irina. Thank you for joining me in this session. And uh, I really appreciate your willingness to share your insights and uh, some opinions about a few key topics for the design job seekers. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's my absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Sweet. Uh, let's start with uh, your current role and the company you work at, and what do you do there? Yeah, um, I work at a company called Clio. Uh, they're based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Um, it's a company that makes practice management software for lawyers with a lofty mission of transforming the legal experience for all. And my role is as a um, product design manager. And I'm currently managing five designers that all work in a particular portfolio. And that portfolio is um, concerned with helping our customers, so helping lawyers create an excellent experience for their clients. And could you tell us a bit more about the origin story and how did you decide to go into UX field? And uh, maybe you had some previous uh, adventures and chapters in your career. What was your overall trajectory with the key steps and the roles? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a couple of past lives, actually. I um, After high school, I thought I was going to become a journalist. And so I went to um, university to study journalism. And actually, I was on a couple of editorial teams for some student newspapers and liked doing the design and layout of the physical magazines more than I actually enjoyed the writing. And so that kind of gave me a couple of hints. And I, it, while sitting in my graduation ceremony, I had my application for design school in my hands. So 
Um, I went straight from university into a graphic design program. So eight years later, um, after finishing high school, I worked as a graphic designer um, and kind of had a bit of a, a loopy trajectory there too. I started actually typesetting novels and ended up working for an architecture firm. And this was actually where I started to think about like, well, actually, who is the audience that is consuming the work that I'm putting out there? So this was signage for building projects. And one in particular that I remember was signage for a cancer research center. So I started to think about like, who are the people that would be coming into this building and needing to find their way around the place? So whether it's someone who's seeking treatment or a researcher, like what does that experience look like and how can I make it as seamless as possible? And also around this time, I was... uh, started to get a little bit annoyed with graphic design and how subjective it felt to me. And I don't know if you know architects, but they're generally quite opinionated about all aspects of design. So there was a lot of subjective like, hey, I don't like that color. Can you change that font? And I started to think like, is there some more objective tools that I can use to actually um, solve design problems? And, you know, started thinking about user experience. And then I actually did a part-time course. This was back in in Sydney, Australia, um, at a place called General Assembly, uh, which is similar to BrainStation or Red Academy that that we have here in Canada. Um, And worked at a couple of startups for a couple of years, working on specific little projects and kind of transitioned into UX that way. Um, And then, yeah, packed up my bags and moved to Canada. And then uh, since you joined... uh... Since you came to Canada, uh, what were your kind of, I guess, trajectory here? And um, I'm curious, when did you decide to go the the management route? As I yeah, understand, you're a hiring manager right now. And yeah. That's correct. So what's the transition there? Yeah, so I came to Canada really just for a change of scene without any kind of prospects or really any connections. Um, and luckily, I, I actually found Clio about a month after I landed in 2016. And I started as a senior senior product designer and then moved through um, the, the ranks to become a product design lead. I actually then spent 2020 at a different company and then came back to Clio in 2021 to, as a product design manager. And actually, like at the time, to be honest... it was a feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm a senior designer. Well, management kind of makes sense to me um and so because i didn't really put in like a ton of thought into what that means i think i struggled for a couple of years around like you know i came to the difficult realization which seems obvious now that management is literally a whole other job and so it was kind of like you know you're a designer today go and do this completely new job tomorrow um, and so, yeah, there was some some hiccups and hurdles and um, definitely a lot of lessons along the way. But I think it was ultimately the right the right decision. And I find it super rewarding now. So if you had to choose and regardless, the I guess the financial aspect, if you had to choose the individual contributor, like the crafts person and the management person, the, the team lead person, what would you prefer? Like if like if I had to choose my own role now? 
Yeah. So because I can for and the reason why I'm asking uh, from all the stories that I've heard so far, uh, when people transition from a person who was doing design to the management, just because the roles are so different in most cases, uh, many people miss the craft and they miss this kind of really designing things because they just don't have as much time to do that uh, with this new role. So I'm curious to hear if if you have some similar feelings and um, if you maybe some time from time to time just switch to this uh, designing mode uh, instead of the management and leading mode. Yeah, I mean, I kind of see design really as solving problems. And so that uh, mindset really helps me see my role is I'm still designing. It's just what I'm designing is a team. And like, I may not be necessarily, you know, in in Figma, you know, picking colors and choosing time faces anymore, but I'm, I still kind of see myself as, you know, solving problems as a, as a designer. So um, I think also the, f- the fact that I find my work with individuals and people just so, so personally rewarding, I, I definitely prefer that side of things over, um, you know, the craft and, and execution and actually releasing product, which I know some of the people that I work with are like, I will absolutely never go into management because I just love collaborating with people on releasing product and solving problems for customers. And for me, I get lit up by helping people do that stuff. So you already mentioned that um, one of your key learnings uh, over the course of your career was that management uh, and team management is a very different role comparing to a designer, right? Which you wish kind of you knew earlier, or at least you you realized earlier. Uh, I'm curious if there are any other lessons or maybe like what do you wish you knew when you were starting the career? Like what you think would make it easier for you uh, that you could advise to, to the newcomers? Something that I kind of wish I made more of, or at least not break away from so um, actively, was really embrace the fact that I've had like a past life and past experiences and whole other industries that I was involved with. So both journalism, which has really helped me like in retrospect, because I'm kind of have that those writing skills and also graphic design and I think you know I talk to a lot of um, entry-level designers and a lot of them have come from some other industry and I think it's a shame when I see applications and resumes and they don't make the most of that they're not screaming from the rooftops like you know I I I'm a I was a graphic designer and now I want to get into UX or maybe I was a psych psychology major and now want to get into UX. All of that stuff is super relevant because, you know, as designers, we're solving problems for people. Um, and all of those skills from, from your past are super relevant and really, really helps you stand out from the crowd, from everyone else who also did a boot camp and has, has a project to share in their, in their portfolio. Yeah. I completely agree that I've seen this as well. And that when, People just don't, and I think I had actually the same issue when I was going through that phase, that people, it's hard to analyze your own strengths, right? And it's really hard to accept the fact that all your previous learnings and path, and even if it's a different industry or a different role that you were in, they all add to your 
mindset, they all add to the things you can do and you actually know how to work with other people, which is mm -hmm. a huge part of the job as a designer. And uh, it also makes your kind of your opinions and and perspectives on, on uh, even like design things more diverse and I guess more, you have a completely different lens. And what I've uh, learned to appreciate is from my experience, the more diverse the background of a person is, um, regardless what their level is or what their job is, the more I get the feeling that they kind of they have a more, I guess, a richer lens that they have on many different things. Yeah. Which, as a result, from what I've seen so far, um, usually you would see a different quality of feedback a different uh, quality of questions, a different quality of the end results as well. So it's kind of back to this diversity. I think the diversity of the backgrounds and experiences within one human being also results in a more diverse and uh, thought out uh, experiences and products that we build. So I totally Absolutely. agree. This is super, super valuable. And I wish more people realize that it's it's actually their benefit and their way that they can stand out from others, especially with all the boot camps. Yeah, and I can thing. see how people get to this place where they don't, because I guess they start thinking about something like UX because they probably aren't so into whatever it is they're doing already. And so they kind of like, you know what, I'm going to, you know, start a, a clean slate. I'm no longer X. I am a UX designer now. So that's, that's all I'm focused on. Where, whereas, yeah, like I think all of that other stuff is just like makes you a better UX designer. Exactly. And I completely agree that like in your case with journalism and graphic design and architecture, this is like super, super relevant and very, I guess, like sibling uh, industries that um, definitely all those learnings, especially journalism, can be applied to so many things uh, as a individual contributor, as a designer, and also as a manager. I think like really talking to and like learning how to work with people and how to mm -hmm. use different communication styles and methods uh, to Get the to make sure that the message is delivered in the right way. I think that's a huge, huge differentiator from many other people. Uh, and definitely, yeah, a good call out to to kind of use those as a way to stand out. The challenge that I th I've seen though is, and I've had this question from a few folks, that when they transition careers, but the previous career is is hardly connected to. Uh, to their like the new uh, passion, the design, and I wonder if there is like maybe any other suggestions or tips that um, you would apply to your uh, I guess path and toolkit. If you were in these shoes, how would you really stand out from everybody else? If you cannot use uh, the previous background as one of these differentiator differentiation points. Yeah, I think before I answer that, I just want to challenge everyone to. Just because you may not be coming from an adjacent design industry does not mean that there's nothing valuable in your past. Probably you've worked with other people. You've probably had to collaborate on projects. You've probably had to pitch ideas, convince people of stuff, told like narratives and stories in your work. All of that is super relevant. But anyway, to your original question, I think one thing that I really am only starting to do now and maybe the pandemic has kind of pushed me in this direction because I can't see anyone in person. So all I do is like troll the internet is reach out for help to of from folks in the industry from around the world. So 
I mean, it could be reaching out to people on LinkedIn and be okay with the fact that most people are not going to get back to you. Don't be discouraged. People are busy. A lot of people just don't look at LinkedIn at all. But I think there's a lot of other avenues where you can meet people, get a whole bunch of different perspectives, get advice, whether that's, you know, setting up a mentorship session through something like ADP list or joining a Slack community. I think I I speak to a lot of junior designers who are just intimidated by the prospect of joining this industry, especially when they have to do it from home. They can't go to a a meetup. They're a little bit nervous. They're not sure. They can't really grasp, like, what is this world that I'm kind of trying to get into? And I think the more people you meet and the more people you talk to, like, you kind of figure out that actually there's just a bunch of people and they're pretty friendly and have good opinions and ideas and it's not as scary as it seems. So I would just say, like, reach out to as many people as you can through as many different avenues who are doing the job that you want. And, uh, like, I think that that'll help a lot with that nervousness about getting into the industry. Okay, let's talk about the resume and tell me more about what's the what's a perfect resume for you. So as a hiring manager, what really stands out in the resumes? What's your opinion on the creative versus uh, standard, more like traditional format? Uh, any tips or advice or mistakes that they can avoid? Yeah, um, I don't think there's really a perfect resume for me. That's kind of why I would say like go for something like clarity and legibility and clean design rather than use your resume as the place to let your personality shine. Um, And I think what I often see missing and what we've kind of already discussed is talk about all that previous experience that is relevant. Um, I love reading what I, where I love to see personality is that like initial intro blurb where people tell me like where they've come from, why they why they're interested in design what do they want to get out of it um that is the bit that's most interesting to me aside from the experience itself um and something that i would generally say i tend to ignore is kind of like the the skills list um where to me particularly with um designers that are in an earlier part of their career i'm looking less for like what specific tools you're able to use and more about what 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 is the potential. And I get that detail more from what you've done, so your experience, and then um, kind of who you are. Maybe you can recall an example from maybe a resume that you've seen recently or sometime in the past. How a person can really convince you that they have the potential? So... And you're talking about that this is like the main answer that you're looking for in this um, in the resume for a junior folk, right? So I wonder if there is like any, what would be the signal of that, that the person can do that? I'm not sure that you can do it in a resume alone. I think it would have to be a combination of like resume and portfolio, especially if you don't necessarily have um, any real world projects. Um, if you do have any real world projects that are, have seen the light of day, put them at the top of the list. Put them above any bootcamp that you've done, any other school projects that you have. 
um, they they will always be more valuable than the school projects and will be more unique than any school project you have. And then a great portfolio for me, particularly with um, more junior designers who are likely to be showing me work from school, is less the stitching together of UX techniques, like, you know, and then I did interviews and then I did a user journey and then I create, well, like I, then I created a persona, then I did a user journey. Um, and tell me why you did specific things and what you learned from each stage that helped you with the next stage. And what I actually tell people is start with writing the story of the project. So use like, pretend like you're doing a short story in high school or wherever you might write a short story and figure out like, what are those interesting inflection points? Like where did the conflict come? What are, who are the main characters and the bits that are the most interesting, like those bits where for some reason, maybe you did some research and you had to go in a completely different direction or if you did happen to work with, with other people, there was some tension between you and them and how you overcame that. Those are the bits that I want to know about. Um, and if you can talk about those in your portfolio, I think that shows to me that it's, you're not just ticking boxes and learning how to do a persona and, and learning how to do a user journey. You're actually now thinking critically about how, how do these tools that I've learned about, how do they help me solve problems, um, in, in the work that I create? That's a very interesting metaphor about like the storytelling and like the inflection points. It's like adding a bit of, uh, I guess, a subtle drama to, to the story of a yeah. study. Because like if if you tell me that everything yeah. is perfectly smooth, I'm just I'm not gonna believe you because <laughs> it's just like it never is. Even it's at never school. is. Yeah. It never yeah. Is. Yeah. Interesting. Good point. Um. So and thinking from the I guess the format or like even like the the means the channels. PDF, web, uh, any number of case study projects. Um, how detailed do you expect them to be? So everything besides the storytelling and the structure itself. I think that's a good question. Like, and it, and I don't think there's necessarily like a clear cut answer. Um, I would probably say the bits that you do identify as like really the interesting points in the project really flesh those out and talk about like your thinking at those points and how that may have changed from, you know, new, new data that you received and then probably get lighter and lighter in, in the other sections. I would, I would say that always frame the project well. So clearly state the customer problem that you're solving and word it like a problem for a person rather than, we wanted to improve X. That's not a problem. Um, and, you know, if it's a particular business that I need to know the details of in order to understand the rest of the project, make sure you spell out what that business is and give me all the context I need so I don't have to put that together. Um, but also, like, don't, like, put, throw the kitchen sink at it and expect that you will be giving the extra detail when you're in the interview. Okay, got it. Uh, 
one of the problems that many people experience, especially coming out of like boot camps and all these uh, similar programs, is that they don't have real world examples, right? So they have just like one, I guess, semi project and some task, like uh, just kind of to show the method. Like heuristic evaluation is one of the popular ones. So it's not even like two projects. So if you were in these shoes, how would you add a real work experience project before you got even uh, before you get the first job? Because it's it's almost like a chicken in the next situation. So you need to have have some kind of really valid examples uh, of work in your portfolio to get noticed and hired. But on the other hand, how do you get those? So what would you do in this case? Yeah, I mean that's a it's a, a tough challenge and I think I would try and look at the projects I do have, like the school projects, and think about okay, so I'm I'm completed the design. How can I indicate that I understand that there's more to this process than just what I've done here? And start thinking about okay, well, how if if I've launched this this work, how would I measure the success of it? So start to think about those metrics and um, maybe even start thinking about you know what like I actually am not super happy with this and this. I would test that further. And maybe I would change it in this and this way. Um, and and the reason why like I'm kind of hesitant to give advice of like go and work for free somewhere is that like that is not the reality for a lot of people. Like they are likely have a, have a day job. They maybe have a family. They maybe have kids. Like to expect for you to then go and you know hustle and and find those projects to fill your portfolio with may not be feasible particularly like during a pandemic so even though that kind of is the reality of what I did between UX school and um, getting a full-time job like I did kind of like reach out to startups and say like hey are you interested in maybe I could develop a set of personas for you or do some some research here or there that would be awesome but I think there's if that's just not a realistic option for you I think there's ways that you can frame your school projects to be feel a little bit more real world. That's a good point that not every person has the luxury and time to of time to to work on those side projects. Awesome. So let's talk about the future of the profession itself. And uh, I'm curious if you have any, I guess, your gut feelings about when will we get replaced by robots, and maybe there are some parts of the UX design world that. Um, are more future-proof from that point of view. So they're like harder to be replaced by the automation. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's kind of why I said earlier that on a resume, I'm not really interested in what tools you can use because the tools will always change. And I think there is a world where, you know, the actual creation of design artifacts will be almost entirely automated. But I think where automation, I'm not going to say is impossible, but is much more difficult, is truly understanding human nature and people's problems and people's underlying motivations and, and pain, pain points and what's kind of going, going on in, in their heads. Um, and so that's why I think if you think of yourself less as like a creator of mock-ups and more of a, as a as a problem solver for humans, 
I think you would be setting yourself up to like, I guess, future proof yourself in a way where, hey, maybe you're designing the software that will automate design. Um, you're doing, you're doing the, you're, you're basically like telling the the robot what designs you want created because you know the the problem that you're solving for your users so well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, our robot overlords. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I completely agree. And so everything that happens before is much harder to convert into these assets that can, the machine can spit out. Uh, what are your thoughts on design exercises, the whiteboarding, like take-home exercises, all the different yeah. flavors? Uh, because there is a huge debate, I mean, ongoing debate about the efficacy of this. And um, from what I've seen, the design take-home exercises are kind of mostly the big red flag, uh, especially if it's like free labor, uh, for a problem that's specific to the business, which is like a big, big no. Uh, but there are so many different varieties and uh, the opinions are quite varied because I can, and also from the, I guess the, the company perspective, uh, I've heard some good arguments about how these tools allow them to understand, to get the answers to the questions they have uh, in a way that um, kind of basically helps them understand if that's the right person for, for the team or for, for this role. So what's what's your opinion on those? I think that as someone who has been a hiring manager who has put candidates through design challenges in person ones where the person shows up into into the room and gets gives given a problem and has to work through that. Um I can I can see the argument for potentially getting the signal that you want, but at the risk of introducing and discounting so many people who don't think that way who I think there's it's it's kind of exclusionary and really biases to people who can think on the spot and who you know probably process through thinking out loud because I think there's there's a designer and it's pr a pretty common personality who would rather take a problem think about it deeply and um, develop a solution that way. And I think uh, like in-person exercises really uh, are really challenging and potentially impossible for, for people like that. So in general, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not such a big fan. And I think there's ways that you can get the signal you need through presentation of past work and through just a standard interview and then I, I guess you could say well if they don't if they want to take the work away do a take home again you're now expecting people to spend time that they may not have maybe they're a parent maybe they 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 just don't have the time you're now kind of biasing against those folks and I think we can do better as hiring managers to get the signal we need without forcing people to jump through these hoops, which are sometimes really stressful and not super fair. Yeah, I totally agree. It's, I don't see a perfect solution here. It's definitely, yeah. I guess, I understand the need from the hiring manager's perspective, but there are so many, I guess, nuances about the method that, that is chosen to, to get those answers. And none of the methods that I've seen are, are perfect, right? 
and each of them they kind of make it easier or harder for people with different preferences and just different way of working. So for example, as you say, the whiteboarding kind of favors uh, candidates who are easier to think like on the spot, but the question is also how likely is way is this way of working in the real life, exactly. right? So it's definitely like you're not going to design a product like in, a, in an hour or like it's always like multi-step and multi, like very collaborative process like in most cases. So it's not really close to the environment that you'll be in. So w- what exactly is the testing? The quick thinking? Yeah. Uh, and uh, But if you start thinking about all the, I guess, disabilities and uh, all the kind of uh, ethical questions and diversity and inclusion, this is also a big red flag because some people may require actually more thinking just because they cannot think faster. Like it's it's it's, it's a very tricky one, I agree. Um, and take home, it's definitely... I guess potential solution, but again, expectation that people will have time is is again exclu- excluding. I am sure a lot of folks uh, from this uh, process, or they have to sacrifice something that actually it's maybe not very ethical to ask them to, like time with the family or something else, right? So it's it's a tricky one, yeah. But still, lots of companies use it. Uh, question about actually Clio, maybe it's a good segue into into that part. Uh, what? How do you? Do we have design exercises there? Let's go with this. Um, we used to actually, um, but we haven't for over a year now. And we find that from my experience, the signal we got from the in-person exercise exercises was weak and left us feeling really uncertain. And I think moving to a structure where it's, it's just um, a, a regular kind of behavioral interview and presentation of work um, and you get to talk to a whole bunch of different people and a whole bunch of different disciplines the signal is is much stronger and we're definitely not losing anything from no longer having those those design challenges that's a very interesting point from what i've seen the majority of companies have some sort of um, this exercise uh, as a part of their process uh, would you be able to share like the full process for a designer, like the interview process, and um, how long does it usually take? Uh, yeah, so we try to make it as quick as possible and not kind of leave any candidates hanging for too long. Um, and there's a couple of different ways that it would start. Like potentially, um, if a candidate comes in, first of all, they will speak to one of our talent acquisition specialists. So you know, they get a sense from the candidate what they're looking for, um, what they're excited about, and then the candidate can ask the recruitment person, you know, all of the um, fun logistical questions. Um, And then, or another way that um, the process could start is we actually reach out and then um, to someone, so it's, it's, it's more us reaching out to them and then we could set up like a coffee chat with one of the design managers so the person can find out more about the opportunity and Clio in general. Um, Then there's a hiring manager interview, which is um, likely to be the manager that you would have if you were to join the team. Um, And that is uh, just finding out a lot more about you and and your previous work. Um, After that, there is a case study presentation where you're asked to present one project that you're, that you've completed recently that you're particularly proud of, um, go through the whole process um, of that. And that will be with 
a hiring manager and then at least another member of the design team. And then there's also a um, triad interview, which a triad is basically how Clio, is Clio teams are structured where every squad is led by a triad of a designer, a product manager, and an engineering manager. And so this triad interview is, is kind of more around how do you collaborate with other disciplines um, to get to get you to the, the candidate more... Um, more exposure to who you might be working with and to give uh, some of our folks some idea of what it's like to work with you. Um, and then there is a, a final kind of conversation with the VP of product. Um, and yeah, that's kind of it. And yeah, I think the whole process generally takes a, a few weeks, a couple of weeks. Um, and we try to make it as quick as, quick as we can because we have a lot of hiring to do. And we want to make sure that the candidate experience is as great as possible. And uh, what's your design process? How do you involve uh, users and their input? And like, what, what are the key steps for a typical project? While we have like a general process that Clio follows, it's really up to each individual team to kind of determine what's required based on the problem they're trying to solve. And this is where the designer and the product manager would collaborate pretty closely. The, the product manager will obviously own the, the business problem. The, the designer would be thinking about, well, what is the problem for the users? And they might together collaborate on discovery interviews with um, some of our customers. We now have two product design researchers as well as a customer insights research team. And the product design researchers conduct their own kind of foundational studies to help um, all of the teams have a really good picture of who our customers are, but also help with specific research studies for individual teams as well. And then once we go through the sort of ideation process, there's also um, uh, usability testing throughout. So that includes both uh, moderated usability testing in some cases, but we've also just recently introduced um, Maze as a tool that we use for much faster turnaround on usability testing when we can do like really light usability tests that we can um, get decent signal on from, from lots of different responses. So that's been really helpful as well. So what does a, a, the product designer role entail? So is it, like, for example, the usability testing, like do they do it on their own or researchers help them with this? They would be determining like what, research questions they want to answer with the usability test. So they would put together the research plan and they would execute the usability testing too. They have researchers available to them to maybe refine what their questions are, maybe refine their usability tasks to make sure that they get like as best a signal as possible. But ultimately, they're completely in control of determining that, yes, we need to do usability testing and what that will entail. Do you have any UX writers or strategists or like any more like specialized roles? Um, right now, we just have the researchers. Um, but yeah, in the future, that might that might change for sure. And how big is the team total? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's over 20 people. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I can't give you the clear answer is because we are hiring so many folks. It feels like... Every other week, we have someone new starting. So I'm worried that if I give you the answer, it'll be the wrong one. 
I think like above 20 is great. Yeah. Yeah, that already means that it's it's a big team that um there are many opportunities to learn from uh from other folks on the team. Oh, absolutely. And we also have um we've just started a design mentorship program where we partner senior and staff designers with more junior and intermediate folks and we kind of have set up like a a six months process for them to work together and then kind of cycle through. Okay, so and what about uh, hiring entry level and junior designers? Any any actions that Clio is taking there? Actually, yes. We're currently in the process of hiring our first two product design interns at Clio. Um, the team is super excited about uh, that initiative. Uh, we we are, we're aiming to start um, sometime in the fall, depending on how the recruitment process goes. And yeah, it's it's going to be an eight-month internship program where um, we'll we'll hire two interns, and and those folks will get an opportunity to um, develop their skills alongside some of Clio's senior designers. Uh, that sounds amazing. And um, is there any special, I guess, requirements about? Um, applying and particularly i'm curious about maybe you limit the the program only to some specific institutions um or maybe special programs from their local uh, universities no we don't actually limit the program even to students at all so it doesn't need to be someone who's currently studying oh it could really be someone, that's amazing yeah it could be maybe somebody who completed a boot camp no design education is actually required but we do ask for you to either submit a, a case study or some kind of example of your design process just um, for us to get an understanding of you know what what your experience is like has been like that's excellent news yeah that i think that definitely expands the 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 list of opportunities uh, for the entry-level folks yeah super happy to hear that and uh, I wonder because uh, we also we already discussed the 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 interview process uh, for I guess a non intern position, and I wonder if the process for for this program uh, the interviewing process uh, differs. It does differ a little bit. It's um, a little bit shorter. Um, we still aim to have uh, the candidates speak with as many people at Clio as possible. So, um, you know, our team gets a sense of who they are and they get a sense of um, what our team is all about. But basically most of the interview rounds are just shorter, a shorter conversation. There's, there's still a conversation with your manager. There's still a case study presentation, which is 30 minutes instead of an hour. Um, there's conversations with members of the design team, and there's um, a conversation with somebody to make sure the person is a culture add to Clio, which is something that every um, candidate goes through as well. Nice. Is it too early to share the volume of applications that you've been receiving? Because I think it's at this point, it's probably about a month or so, a couple months uh, since yeah, you opened the program. It's about a month. Um, so I'm actually not the hiring manager for mm. the role, um, but I know that we've had a lot of interest. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing. I think that's I'm super happy to hear that Clio is uh, one of those few companies doing this. Hopefully, you'll lead by example, and more companies uh, start offering programs like this, including <laughs> Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm thrilled with this program too, and I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about it. 
Awesome. So these are all the questions that uh, I wanted to talk to you today. Um, I really appreciate your time and um, sharing all those thoughts and uh, insights about um, your particular experience and how you evaluate candidates and applicants and uh, also some of the details uh, about Clio. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I wish you a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening. If you want to see more episodes and support this podcast, the best thing you can do is leave a review on iTunes and share with your friends and colleagues. If you have specific questions you would want me to answer, you can submit them on the UX Career website. Go to uxcareer.co slash questions. Goodbye, friends.